Welcome in to a football show. My name is Zach Lyons. You can follow me on Twitter at EffortsPod. And then we got are joined by Stoney Keeley. Braden is, he's not on vacation. It's almost like a working vacation, I guess you could say. He won't be here for the week. Stoney's filling in today on Monday. You can follow him on Twitter at Stoney Keeley. And uh, Thursday will be Mike Herndon. Uh, he'll be joining the show. So you get to hear me and Mike, or basically me, berate or yell at Mike. Uh, and tell him that he's wrong twice this week. So lucky for you guys. We are brought to you by Sinker's Beverages. Uh, basically an award-winning, kind of like this podcast. Well, not this podcast, football uh, Football and other F-words is award-winning. But hey, you've won awards. I've won awards. Maybe this is now considered an award-winning uh, podcast since both of us have awards. But Sinker's Beverages undefeated, reigning champions of liquor store. Go to East Nashville, go to Sinker Beverages, or go to SinkerBeverages.com and join the in crowd to get the latest updates on anything that is new and hip and cool. They, you can also go to Hendersonville to their sister store, Bluegrass Beverages. It's been around since the 70s. And then you got the Kingston Group, BuildKG.com. For any of your home remodeling or renovation needs, call them. That's all you got to do. They'll come in, give you an estimate, tell you what, what you need to do. They're locally owned, locally operated. They're probably some of the best and hardest workers in the construction game. So Kingston Group, BuildKG.com. Of course, you can read both of our stuff at StackingTheInbox.com. And uh, get some big stuff heading your way this week. Uh, Friday, Film Friday, was Traylon Burks' best game, which was a thorough in-depth breakdown by Stoney Keeley. I'm curious, Zach, where do you think that Packers game sits on the scale of his best and worst games? Oh, it's easily his his best. I don't feel like it's a really so a contest. Uh, Some of the advanced metrics you looked at from the Bengals game suggested that that might have been, you know, he was on a run there, that that Packers, Bengals, and Eagles game before he got his lights knocked out. Yeah. It, I would say it's definitely, it's his, it, I, th- I think it's his most complete game from start to finish, and I think that's really what he needed and what matters. Um, yeah, definitely I think his best. I thought so. It was, yeah. it was very thorough, and I think it was probably the most in-depth you'll see anywhere breaking down that game. So stackinginbox.com. Which is Friday, funny, Tony. because I was out of office last week dealing with a family emergency, and my I believe my exact text message was to you, uh, I, I don't know if I can get this piece I'm doing on the linebackers done, because it's kind of heavy, and I'm really getting into the weeds on it. And then I just went and wrote 2,400 words on Traylon Burks against the Green Bay Packers. It really evolved from what does Burks do well to what does Burks do well? And also why did Todd Downing suck in what was considered his best game of the season still? Right. <clears throat> right. Uh, speaking of the linebackers, we'll be talking about the linebackers. Uh, we'll be doing our Titans training camp takeaways. We are going to also talk about the offensive line discourse and the power of positivity, like I said, but first, but first Stoney shit is going down in Indianapolis. Oh my gosh, and I am enjoying every bit of it. The discourse around Jonathan Taylor, the stuff that Jim Ursay is being allowed to tweet. Someone take that man's phone away if you care about your organization or anything like that. And then, of course, you know, just a few moments ago, Zach Moss, the backup and potential starter of Jonathan Taylor, continues to sit out running back. He goes down with a broken arm and he's out for at least six weeks. It, it's pretty much a comedy of errors brought on 
and ex- brought on by the owner and exasperated by the fans. The same fans that are booing Andrew Luck are now turning on Jonathan Taylor because he just wants to get paid a couple extra million dollars. We have seen there are reports out there that he's asking $16 million, but nobody has attributed it to anyone. It is just ML football, which is one of those aggregate, you know, Titans Twitter or not Titans Twitter, but aggregate X accounts that um, you can't really trust because they didn't, they, they, it's their sources supposedly. And I'm, I don't know who the fuck their sources are. So all this to say, it's beautiful. And how much are you enjoying it? Well, you know, I'm enjoying it. I've got my popcorn scrolling Twitter. There's a lot of back and forth. It's it's really funny to watch Colts fans implode because for, for so long, you know, this team just held dominion over the Tennessee Titans. But I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, you know, the uh, the football scouts that you and I are, this is this is Evan Hull's time to shine right now. Yeah. This gives us an opportunity. He's their only running back. Selfishly, I'm looking at you and I thinking, wow, this could we could come out looking pretty good on this because we were both high on Evan Hull after seeing him at the Senior Bowl down in Mobile this year. So I'm kind of rooting for him to have a, a pretty decent campaign, but it just really feels like this is an organization that's in complete disarray right now. And somebody does need to take Jim Ursay's phone away from him, but I'm not going to be the one to do it because I want to see how this all keeps going yeah it's 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 insane that they're willing to kind of take away one of the best parts of their offense over a few million dollars which you know it's 16 if it let's say if it is 16 million dollars a year for a running back yes it's very expensive but for a focal point of your offense that can be there every week that moves the chains that's proven that when you give him the ball, you win. I think Derrick Henry put it best, and this is something that I'm going to be writing about second inbox. There are times where the running back touches the ball more than the damn quarterback, and mm-hmm. they're not getting paid that way. $16 million is going to make or break you, especially when you got Cole Komet getting double-digit uh, APY per year and all that kind of stuff. But well, he got like forty million or close to it. Yeah, it was a ridiculous contract for Colt Komet. It's to me the and we got screw the Colts. How about our kid Will the Thrill Levis? We'll get there. We got this is a full hour show, <laughs> Doctor Lipschitz. We are going to enjoy. See, it says right here, enjoying the misery of the Colts. Yeah. We are going to bask in it, bathe in it, snort it up like Jim Mercy would a couple of ground up pills. We're going to enjoy a little bit of Colts misery before we get to him. We're going to get to a plenty like the rest of this is all Titan stuff. So we're going to get to Will Levis and his day to day and all that kind of stuff. I do want to say Dr. Lipschitz needs to get his uh, his fingers ready because he's going to be typing when I get into my thoughts on Will Levis later. Yeah. He's a known known Levis truther. Yeah, I, I, maybe he is the the guy that's been uh, harassing the media. I don't know if he is or not, but there's a guy that's her, the changed his name to Pretty Boy Kelly on Twitter, and it's I think it is him. that he's harassing media <laughs> members. And they're like, "Dude, we have talked about Levis, but there's also like fifteen thousand other players we got to talk about." I don't know if that's him or have not. Have we but. have we ruled out the possibility that Doctor Lipschitz is Will Levis, like on a burner account? Yeah, we, ha- we have not. Okay. I will say this, Dr. Lipschitz is the name of the uh, the child 
uh, psychologist from the Rugrats. That's the only, that's what I'll always oh, remember right. Dr. Yeah. Lipschitz from. Anyway, this cult stuff is amazing. They're bringing it upon themselves, and it couldn't happen to a better fan base that they're having to go through this because they booed Andrew Luck and what idiots because now they've all they gotten is like spare parts at quarterbacks throughout this whole time. And also, I, before we move on to Titans training camp notes, Greg Doyle, what an unprofessional, scummy oh, article that he wrote who downplayed someone else's education just because they went to Miami Dade. And then also for him to say, well, who the hell is this guy? And what does he have to, who is he? He's the guy that just negotiated Shaq Leonard's contract in the same fucking team that you cover. He's the guy that just negotiated Titus Howard's contract. Yeah. I mean, like, get, spare me that this guy, that you are, that is a man in the pocket of Jim Irsay, if I've ever seen it. Totally unprofessional. I, I was wondering if maybe he let, like, Ursay came into his office one day and was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to need you to s slide over just a little bit. Give me this keyboard. I got to type something up real quick. And, of course, you know, he's in his pocket. Yeah. Go for it, boss. I, I think Dr. Lipschitz, a.k.a. Pretty Boy Kelly, brings up a good point right here. When someone like Dan Snyder leaves the NFL or leaves an organization, someone has to become the new Dan Snyder, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, see, it's like when you're in friend groups. If one friend leaves and he was the guy that you all shat on and like made fun of and poked fun and he moves out of state, then ne the next person, there's the, always a low man on the totem pole in your friend group. And I think that Jim Mersey has a clear lead right now as asshole owner for, for real. Because, I mean, like, if you really think about all the other owners, they're all kind of, like, chilling, having good time and all this stuff. He's really the only guy that keeps putting himself out in front of the media. And uh, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm here for some Colts drama and demise and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm curious, victory lap aside, how do you think this impacts the 2023 season? Like the locker room can't be looking at this behavior on Twitter and thinking that's my owner. That's the guy we're going to get behind. Well, don't forget, you know, they just went through a dark period last year when their owner hired a player that has never coached before to be <laughs> their head coach. And now he is treating one of their best players like utter garbage. And is, it's just, it's not good. It, and it can't be, you know that the fall guy is going to be Chris Ballard. You know that Shane mm -hmm. Steichen isn't going to be able to handle all this drama in his rookie year as a head coach, mm -hmm. along with all the extra responsibilities that comes with it. And then you got Anthony Richardson getting, you know, he decided to get his uh, deviated septum fixed. And it just seems like there's a lot going on for this Colts team that it's going to be a, another rough year for Colts fans. And I don't think they know how to handle two back-to-back -back years. How deep into the season do we get before Jim Ursay signs Jeff Saturday to play running back? Oh, my gosh. I hope it's like in a couple of weeks now that Zach Moss is down. Yeah, that'd get be, him out there for training camp. That'd be amazing. Um, it shouldn't make you thankful for it. shouldn't make any fan base thankful that their owner isn't Dan Snyder or Jim Ursay at this point. Uh, Zach mm -hmm. Whitener says it makes me yeah. more thankful for Miss Amy every day, and I am with you. Let's head into, since we're talking about Miss Amy, to Titans training camp where she is everywhere talking to all the players because she loves football and loves players and doesn't like making people miserable. Queen of the city. Queen of the city, indeed. I want to start 
just because I had, I was going to talk about Levis and the QBs first, but just because Dr. Lipschitz had to chime in, I'm going to talk about DeAndre Hopkins first and make him wait even longer because Ooh, I like I'm the running move. the show. I'm running the show. I'm a heel. I'm a, I'm, I'm in the hill role. Okay. DeAndre Hopkins has been practicing like a madman. And I don't know if it's solely because of the narrative around him, but I sure as shit am glad that he is because I have talked about one of the main story camps, uh, story camp, main storylines from training camp that I want to pay attention to is DeAndre Hopkins involvement and getting the reps in, not necessarily learning the offense because he sort of kind of knows it. And Mike Vrabel kind of alluded to that, but getting that chemistry up with Ryan Tannehill. And what I want to focus on is not only is he practicing, not only is he making highlight catches, but Ryan Tannehill is force feeding the ever loving shit out of him. He is basically mm-hmm. a feedy. He's like got him on the bed strapped in and he's just feeding him pudding. Football pudding <laughs> is what he's doing. Yeah. And, and I think there are things about this that were, were kind of glossing over because of the highlight reel catches, you know, the, the one-on-one rep against Christian Fulton, where he goes up and brings the ball down with one hand, this is all well and good, but what we're seeing so far, I got my notepad, you know, I love my notepads. The I got, things I got that like I three like, on my desk. Yeah, you, you see the grit from, from Hopkins, and it's July. You see him coaching guys up. There's a quote that Teron Davenport pulled from Nick Westbrook-Akine where NWI says that Hopkins being out there forces you to elevate your game. So with Hopkins, not only are you getting these highlight reel catches, you're seeing what a, what a focus Ryan Tannehill is going to have on him, but you're also seeing ways that he is impacting the team as a whole. It's it's great stuff, man. Like the way Ryan Tannehill is feeding DeAndre Hopkins, feed me this pairing, feed me this relationship. Well, I mean, it's it's great because Ryan Tannehill does. Ex- I mean, he's had a lot of practice over the last two years, but he does excel at, at tight window throws if there's no separation and there's nobody that can turn a tight window throw into a highlight real catch better than DeAndre Hopkins. Um, I I just love that basically every day DeAndre Hopkins is at least catching one touchdown. He's at least mm-hmm. being like, he's the, he's the first target on play action. He's the target on some of these plays, just, you know, all pass plays. Maybe that is on purpose. And, and that's probably a good thing that it is. Uh, we'll, we know that they're going to be shifting the offense and the way they approach it in 11 on 11, seven on sevens tomorrow. We'll get to that in a minute, but it's just a good sign and a good feeling to see. It's like when Tannehill was just force feeding Chig and Kyle Phillips last year at this time. That actually translated into the regular season. So this obviously should translate into the regular season, which is a very, I guess, duh thing to say because it is DeAndre Hopkins and he is the number one wide receiver. But stuff like this does matter, specifically for a quarterback like Ryan Tannehill, who has shown over the years that what he does in training camp is what he's going to do in the regular season. If he throws a bunch of picks in training camp and has and looks really bad and really off like he did heading into 2021, he's going to look really bad in 2021. Last year, we saw really good Ryan Tannehill in the offseason, and he looked pretty damn good in the regular season if he only had anything go right around him. Yeah, so we're seeing these highlights. DeAndre Hopkins looking good. 
Traylon Burks is also looking pretty good so far. How do you feel about their relationship and kind of the, the dynamic between the two, the, the week so far in training camp? Does it give you hope? Do you think that Hopkins is the clear wide receiver one and Burks is the wide receiver two? What do you think of that? Yeah, I think it, they're going to be at a cr critical juncture, right? Like, what you saw from Burks last year did not scream to me wide receiver one. Now, did not mean that he could not turn into a wide receiver one. But right now, when DeAndre Hopkins signed, he's wide receiver one. But what I do think it has a high possibility of happening is this allows Traylon Burks to shine, to get on the radar, to build chemistry kind of like as the wide receiver two and overtake DeAndre Hopkins as the wide receiver one by the end of the year. And that will be a good thing for – that's what I've always thought would benefit Traylon Burks the most is having – I was hoping that it was going to be A.J. Brown, but having DeAndre Hopkins – there as a a mentor or a guy that will take the pressure off of him that's going to help everybody but specifically going to help Traylon Burks immediately yeah I I kind of feel like we could be heading towards a situation where there's a, a more of um not necessarily force feeding but maybe more of a situational role where Hopkins is handling a lot of the underneath work and maybe Burks is becoming more of the deep threat option for this this Titans offense. Either way, I, I feel like we're talking about Hopkins. We're only one week into training camp, but I would say it's exceeding my expectations at this point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think just him practicing exceeded my expectations because I thought for sure, for sure that he would have taken several days off already <laughs> into training camp. Yeah, and mm -hmm. and that's just because of Julio. But so I'm very glad that he's not. Uh, I do. I agree with you. I think Burks is going to be it's kind of like Corey Davis and A.J. Brown in 2019. Corey Davis handled a lot of the dirty work while A.J. Brown was your explosive playmaker, because while he can make catches down the field, DeAndre Hopkins, he's not an explosive athlete. A.J. Brown was Traylon Burks is they, there's your dynamics. I totally agree with Bingo. you on that. Yeah. Speaking of dynamic. Oh, boy, it finally happened. Will Levis had a banger of a day. He, he turned did. in his best performance of, of the offseason. And I have to say, in all my years of following Titans training camp, which has been a long time, his 7-for-7 seven seven that I'm about to read, I believe is the first time that not only is it the first time that we've seen three touchdowns in one of these series, because they do little series, of 20 plus yards, but also the first time we've seen three back to back to back touchdowns, like no plays in between them, all touchdowns. And it was complete to Justin Rigg for a touchdown, complete to Trayshawn Harrison for a touchdown, complete to Reggie Roberson in a tight window for a touchdown. Reggie Roberson himself got two touchdowns today, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but three touchdowns back to back to back is pretty impressive. Now, Great sign for him. Uh, Malik Willis also looked good, but I don't think anybody had a better camp today on the offensive side of the football than Will Levis, and it showed from the glowing reviews. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I don't, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here. Okay, and this I might be cast in a negative light for saying this, but 
the things that he is being lauded for uh, drive, throwing into tight windows. I believe it was Sam Phelan that reported three touchdowns, each from 20 plus yards into tight windows. Those were not things that I was concerned about with Will Levis. What I was more concerned about were the ball placement, sensing pressure in the pocket and touch on the short to intermediate throws. I don't know, you know, like I said, before we started recording, I was out of office last week. So if something was reported on that, I might've missed, you can, you can call me correct, but, or you can correct me on that, but I want to know about the touch and we heard Mike Vrabel talking about the good decisions he made. Um, PK pulled that from the Vrabel presser. It's up on his Twitter Twitter feed. The A to Z guys were talking about his ball placement. Those are good things that I want to see marked improvement on, but let me know how he's doing with the, the short to intermediate game, and then I will hop on board the bandwagon with you guys and be completely stoked about Will Levis. I thought it was Teron Davenport who said it, but um, I, I can't find it on his uh, accounts. But someone did say today that – on a couple of different tweets that he did have some nice touch on throws. You could tell that he's working on it, but you can also tell that he's working on it mentally, right? Like that okay. means that he, maybe he's a little bit slower. He's taking an extra beat to think about it, but he's getting that right. I think that was Buck yesterday, but someone else today had the stuff that he looked a lot better today throwing the touch. Here's my caution for everybody around this. And this is, this comes straight from Mike Vrabel right now. Everything they're doing is is very scripted. They're given the script. They go home. They study. It's very scripted. They come out and run the plays. Tomorrow on Tuesday is the biggest is a the biggest day so far that actually matters for the Titans quarterbacks from Ryan Tannehill to Malik Willis to Will Levis because they're getting a simulated game plan to take home just like they would on a night before a game and they're going to come out and it's not going to be scripted. It's going to be someone on the sidelines calling the plays and they're going to be in game situations where they're making decisions, you know, on some of these plays, they're allowing like the play to progress. Even if it's supposed to be a sack, they still let the play happen and finish out. That's not going to be how it is tomorrow more than likely. So it'll be interesting to see how much of this changes without knowing the sequence of plays and having to call the plays at the line to everybody in the huddle, getting them all set up, going up against the defense in a real game-like situation. How much do things change for these quarterbacks? Because Braden Gall said on Thursday, on Thursday he said that when Malik Willis was in 7-on-7s, seven seven, he looked great. When he got to 11-on-11s, he looked like old, Will, or old Malik Willis. So... It's going to be interesting to see now that you're going to have the extra burden of relaying the plays and listening to the plays and and doing everything you're supposed to do as a quarterback on Sundays. How much of this situation changes? What are you What are you feeling about that? Do you think it's a good barometer of what to expect in a preseason game from these guys? Yeah, I would. I would say so, and I think it adds kind of another wrinkle to the competition that we're seeing between Willis and Levis as well. Like, more real simulation, right? I think that's that's the goal here. So far, you win where you're supposed to win, and I think it's safe to say that Levis has, has done that so far. So 
for you, I mean, at what point, what's, what's the next stage? What are you going to get out of this? Is there a point where you see the progress over the next few days that you kind of flip and Levis becomes QB two? Well, the first step will be tomorrow for sure, because he even said, Vrabel even said he'll, they'll both get some work with the twos and the threes. So okay. it won't just be Levis going threes versus threes. It'll be Levis going with two versus twos and and vice versa. So you're going to see a little bit more of a gray area to compare. I guess the Venn diagram is going to overlap a little bit more for Malik Willis and, and Will Levis here that we're going to see just how far Will Levis has come and just how far Malik Willis has come. And if Malik Willis, he has to show in these situations when they pop up at camp, when they're when they're game simulated, when they're going to be doing the uh, team versus team practices, all this, he's going to have to show that he's not only greatly improved over the previous year, but he's improved enough over Will Levis. Because right now, if you were to ask me, from what I've heard, from what people have said, from the analysis on the radio, from the analysis on the TV, from podcasts, everything, is that Will Levis and Malik Willis, there's not that much difference. Right. And that's right. not good for Malik Willis, even though that he has glaringly improved. You're glaringly improving from an F minus, you know, that's that's gonna be a big improvement. So and also he has to show more. Yeah, you're also competing with a guy that just got to the NFL. You've got a full offseason and a full season under your belt. Yeah. You you have he's going to have to show a lot. Like you have if you want to maintain the quarterback too, Malik Willis is going to have to show I know this sounds like a a big burden to put on a young quarterback in year 2. He's going to have to show near starter-like ability in all of these situations. His margin of error is so thin that if him and Will Levis look like the same quarterback at the same level of progression, there probably isn't a spot for Malik Willis on this roster. He may go be trade bait, or he may get cut, or he may go to the practice squad, or he may just be third string and they just keep him. But you, you as a quarterback... When you're in the situation that Malik Willis is in, you have to show and prove so much more than maybe if they hadn't have drafted Will Levis. If they had moved on from and just kept and didn't even draft Will Levis, his margin of four errors way bigger. Right now, it's very thin. Yeah, sorry. I uh, I just realized my camera zoomed out. I must have got a text message no, or good. something, and now... Everybody can see my messy office, and I also look like Kyler Murray sitting next to Dewan Jones. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I found interesting out there is that Monty Rice he doesn't have a uh, firm grasp on this starting in like in inside linebacking position, and he's he's quite the shit talker for a guy who doesn't even have a starting job. Uh, a- he went out of his way. Like cross the field to talk shit to Colton Dow of all people. Like he's mm. like, oh you you ain't in the NCAA anymore. Like hey, like Monty Rice, who the fuck do you think you are to be able to talk shit to anybody? You're losing your job to Dr. Jack Gibby. Yeah, listen, it's a it's a tough scene for Monty Rice supporters. I'm not gonna lie. We are we are down bad, but I, I still think that 
people overlook Monty Rice and how good he is because of the role he plays. This is this is practically an invisible role that that he's in for for the Titans right now. And you know, I'll just say like there's a reason playing this position made guys like Dr. Gibby and Dylan Cole and even Joe Johnson. I hope I keep wanting to call him Joe Jonas. Like the Titans were <laughs> sending a, a Jonas brother out there to play play linebacker. But there's a reason all these guys look good. And for, for me, again, I don't have a Titans playbook. You know, I don't know the intricacies schematically speaking about this Titans defense, but this particular role that Monty Rice plays is it's conducive to kind of being around the ball. You're kind of like in the way at all times in the middle of the field. And I feel like that makes it look like these, these linebackers are more impactful than they really are. But the things that I liked about Monty Rice is he's really good run defense, crashing gaps, closing up holes and stuffing uh, running backs. He's good at tracking running backs. I think he's better in coverage than people give him credit for. I found a rep, a, a film study I did for Sobro's network last December, where he's like stride for stride with Keenan Allen down the field. People have, you know, flashbacks of Evan Ingram scoring touchdowns on him, but it was a really nicely designed pick play that you kind of tip your cap to Doug Peterson and the Jags for executing. But all of that said, the thing for Monty Rice is, is being healthy. And also it's by the nature of the position, as I laid it out, you, you're kind of disposable at a certain point. And it kind of makes me wonder seeing stuff like this happening out there and the reality of, you know, the, the coaches will tell you by who they're sending out there. The reality is the coaching staff does not seem to be as high on Monty Rice as guys like me are. Yeah. I mean, they, they are, I, I find it odd that out of all the linebackers that could possibly get the starting reps, that it's continuously and truly Jack Gibby that is getting them all. Uh, talking yeah. about a guy that didn't even make the roster last year at the beginning of the cuts and he got brought back. And then I know they like him. They like his length. Apparently, uh, you know, Chance Campbell is still there. You mm-hmm. know, Luke Gifford's a free agent they brought in. But you would have thought that this was Monty Rice's job. And you come back from the break. You come back where he had the job, right? Like Monty Rice was getting work with the ones on the regular at OTAs. And he comes in to training camp. And all of a sudden, he doesn't have the firm grasp on his job that he thought. And he can't keep his damn mouth shut. And he's embarrassing himself. Yeah, And I wasn't a, p- a fan of the pick in the third round anyway. Now, if you would have told me they drafted him in the fifth or the sixth, I'd have been fine. But in the third round was way too high. And then he can't even stay healthy. And he he he's okay. Like, I thought that he was a quality linebacker. I said, if anybody can get anything out of him, it'll be Mike Vrabel. Sure, yeah. But Mike Vrabel thinks he can get more out of Jack Gibby because apparently there must be something about Jack Gibby that is providing Vrabel all this. I just want to say, like, you know, it probably won't work out. Kind of like Dylan Cole, it'll be good for four games and then they're going to be in a world of trouble. But I am just, I'm very surprised that the way that they're handling the Monty Rice thing, that it's obviously telling. That mm-hmm. Rice is just, he can't even win or hold on to what should be clear, clearly his job. Well, Zach, nothing, the writing was on the wall when 
Jack Gibbons got a nickname, Dr. Gibbons. Yeah. Monty Rice doesn't have a nickname. We know what that means for Mike Vrabel. Yeah. I fully intended to come on this show. Braden asked me if I would fill in last week. Um, and I fully intended to come here and be like, I'm going to defend Monty Rice on this show because you and Mike went in on him on a recent episode of football and other F words. And I'm like, no, I'm, this is my chance. I'm going to stand up there. And then you see all this happening. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'm not going to mention Monty Rice. And then I get the text message from you and you're like, we're going to talk Will Levis. We're going to talk DeAndre Hopkins. We're going to talk uh, Christian Fulton, not to get ahead of myself here, but I'm like breathing a sigh of relief. Like, okay, I'm just going to let this Monty Rice thing go quietly into the night. And no, here we are. Yeah. The, I just couldn't, you know, just the it's way, that, yeah. Just when the way the way that Vrabel has talked about the whole situation and the way that the media has covered it uh, since training camp has started back up, it's just it's it tells you something. Yeah, it's and I speaking, think yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, I think as um, analyst, I'm battling a cough. I'm doing my best here, man. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't even hear it. I think as fanalists, if you will, there's an important part of this thing where. I, I can watch as much tape as I want to, and I can form the conclusion that Monty Rice is going to be a pretty good inside linebacker. But ultimately, when you're smacked in the face with something like this, like Dr. Gibby getting uh, the lion's share of the reps at the starting position, you kind of have to adjust. And I'm I'm willing to do that, you know? Yeah, the, uh, you know, I luckily this, this offseason, I haven't really had to adjust on anything because I've just been constantly right. And this is going to be another one. You have we're, been. We're going to not, we're going to notch it up onto the right column. Monty Rice got it so up far. So I will far. say this the guy that could prove me wrong the most is having himself a damn good camp. He's physical. He is full throttle every play, mm. he's, he's everywhere on the field. And Christian Fulton is looking to have, in a contract year, of course, keep that in mind, a contract year, have himself a nice dandy little rebound of a season. And I am so interested in just seeing how how long he can keep up this activity level throughout, because he's he's going full court, full force right now. That means every practice, a guy who has been injured who has known to struggle with injuries, is going full force, balls to the wall, every play. Can that? Can a guy like that that struggles with injuries maintain that level of competition all through the summer into the regular season without any hangups? That is the big storyline for me. And one of the biggest surprises of camp is the whole narrative around Christian Fulton. Yeah, I'm with you because going into the offseason throughout free agency, the draft, you had kind of sniffed out that, hey, maybe something's not quite right here with Christian Fulton. And I, I agreed with you because of how Vrabel, his demeanor in the press conferences when when talking about him kind of felt like, I don't know, there's there's something here. I mean, are we are we feeling like the bad vibes are cleared up with Christian Fulton? I'm feeling that way. I mean, yeah. every time that he's asked about Christian Fulton or brings him up, I mean, he, he, got, he has that glow. He got his groove back. Like, well, it, it sounds too like, there maybe were some concerns, but now that he's shown up to training camp, the tone in some of these press conferences when he's talking about Fulton is more of like, well, you know, he showed up, he's bigger, but he's still able to move well. He's he's doing good out there. I, I'm not going to go as far as to say it's, it's Vrabel acknowledging like, oh, you know, it was okay after all, but that's kind of the sense that I get just from his body language and tone and 
demeanor and that sort of thing is kind of like maybe we were worried about this, but he proved us wrong whenever he showed up to camp and he's he's getting in work. And, and another facet of this whole thing is or this whole DeAndre Hopkins thing is that Fulton's going to be, you know, it's a trial by fire. I mean, he's out there against one of the best in the league. And when he's out there against A.J. Brown, he had one of his best seasons. So hopefully, you yeah. know, this all this all comes together and it's a turnaround for Christian Fulton. Maybe not a, a turnaround enough where he's asking for a lot of money, but hopefully the whole cornerback group, because Christian Fulton turns it around, everybody else is able to adjust to their roles a little bit better than they were last year. Because if he goes down with injury, sure, there's Sean Murphy Bunting, who mm. is having a... Uh, a quiet camp, I guess you could say for right now. I do know that he got a PBU or maybe an interception. I think he had an interception, interception. on Ryan Tannehill today. Um, so, you know, he, he made a little noise today. But you, you want Christian Fulton to be the alpha that he was. The guy that got into DK Metcalf's head all game yeah. long. You want that guy, not the guy who got bulldozed by A.J. Brown and pulled his groin. Like yeah. we we need to see, I think everybody needs to see Christian Fulton be that DK Metcalf twenty twenty one version of himself to feel comfortable about this pass defense as a whole. And it, and it seems like Vrabel, Chris Harris, they have seen the improvement that they were hoping to see from Christian Fulton. And what I've noticed today is that Chris Harris um, basically is good or bad plays he is talking through everything with the defensive backs over on the side of the field yeah I, I i i'm struggling to get to an optimistic level because i heard Braden on thursday say that and i think mike or you one of one of you have said too like they're oddly deep in the secondary but i i'm i'm still not there yet i mean keep stringing these practices together but and we'll see, but like right now, I kind of feel like this is a group that is an injury to away from things getting really weird. And I've told you this off air. I don't know that I've tweeted it or made it public, but you know, not every free agent signing is going to hit. And I feel like Sean Murphy bunting is the one that I watched. And if you read my piece on film Friday on stacking the inbox about him, He's a pretty steady, pretty reliable cornerback, but he does have that one thing that kind of makes him susceptible. And it's those like change of direction routes where you in or out either way, he tends to kind of drop back and keep everything in front of him. And then guys just snap him off. And while a lot of cornerbacks will probably tell you like, Hey, I'll take a five yard route over a, a touchdown bomb any day. I think it is something that opposing offensive coordinators and wide receivers can exploit. So if he doesn't pan out and if Christian Fulton is injured and then Roger McCreary, this this change in position doesn't quite work for him. Well, then what? I, I mean, I, I posited this to Paul Kaharski in one of his recent mailbags, and he had a an answer that kind of it, it felt pretty illuminating was that this coaching staff probably feels that the defensive front is going to be good enough to where they can win with what they have in the secondary. And I know that's where a lot of people are at, but I'm kind of teetering on the edge here. I, I feel like I feel like they're on thin ice with this position group. Yeah, I'm with you. The to me, I look at Sean Murphy Bunting, and I know that he puts in the work 
not just on the field, but off the field. The, one of the mm-hmm. biggest things that everybody talks about is that he is the guy in the film room almost all the time. If you need a, if you're asking where Sean Murphy Bunting is, you're probably getting directed to the film room. And he is, he is a guy who wants to work on his craft in between the ears and on the field. Sometimes that all that good work works, right? I mean, we saw it sure. in Tampa Bay. Then sure. sometimes it it just falls flat, and it, it you don't you don't see it. it. Hard work is great, but not every not every little bit of being a hard worker translates to the field. But he's with a coaching staff that I do feel can put him in situations to succeed. But I am with you. This same defensive front. Did not help the passing game last year, and it, it's very likely it won't happen again. I, I'm sure maybe Arden Key and Harold Lander being back maybe changes that just a little bit. But this defensive back group outside of Christian Fulton hasn't had true success, even with a r- elite run-stopping defense consistently year to year. And pass rush that was really good 2021 for sure and pretty good 2022. It just hasn't came together for this defense all at the same time. But I am kind of feeling a little optimistic that this year could change that. Yeah, and all of this is to say, like to to tie this this topic up with a nice and neat with a bow on top, is that so far so good. What you want to see, you're seeing so far. Sean Murphy Bunting's making plays in camp. Christian Fulton is out there stringing together a good series of practices. Sounds like he's in shape. He's bulkier, bigger a little bit. Like, this is good stuff. But in the back of my mind, there's still this idea of, hey, if, you know, things don't quite work to this vision, they're ill-equipped to just plug guys in. And then, you know, we could be seeing teams just throwing bombs over the head of, of these defensive backs. Now, I know, we listen, we've given, I don't want to turn this into the Dr. Lipschitz show because we've given him quite a bit of shine in today's episode. But he does point out, the Tampa people said he just didn't understand the Fangio-style zone defense they played. And I saw that out on the internet too. Again, like just being transparent with you guys, I'm not a, you know, I'm not in deep the, the Vic Fangio defensive playbook or anything, but there were times that it kind of felt like, there were some instances of hesitancy on the tape where it's like it wasn't quite sure where to go. And the next thing you know, the guy's open by five yards breaking the route in. So maybe that is something to uh, to be said there. But I think so far, I would say I am kind of moving towards comfortable with the secondary while not quite there yet. Well, talking about someone that is quite there. That would be Sinker's Beverages because they're quite there in mm. East Nashville and they're award-winning, reigning champs of liquor and beverages and everything that you could want. Massive store, big store. They have a wide selection of beers, lots of alcohol to choose from. They'll give you your recommendations. You tell them your taste. Head over to Sinker's Beverages. Join the in crowd. That way you know when the barrel that we picked on a football show and some of our listeners went with us that way you know when it is available in their store exclusively at Sinker's Beverages. And, of course, the Kingston Group, they're there for you whenever you need remodeling or renovation. Whatever you need for your house, call the Kingston Group up. Get a quote. Get some advice. Don't make the mistake of just hiring the first guy off Angie's list.com. Go to the Kingston Group, buildkg.com. 
schedule a consultation with them and they'll treat you right. Locally owned, locally operated. All right, Stoney. Today on Stacking the Inbox, I wrote about how I am kind of sick and tired of the same old tired narratives year after year or some one person will cling to one particular topic and they'll bring it up all the time. Sure. And I am here, and I think the offensive line discourse needs to change. I think that if you look at the 2015, I wrote about this today, if you look at the 2015 offensive line and go to the 2016 offensive line, you'll see that they brought in a few extra people. So we, so basically Byron Bell, Taylor Lewan, Brian Schwinke, Chance Warmack, Jeremiah Potassi, Jamon Meredith, Joe Looney, and Quentin Spain were your offensive linemen in 2015. In 2016, Taylor Lewan, Quentin Spain, Ben Jones, Chance Warmack, who turned into Josh Klein, that he got replaced, and Jack mm-hmm. Conklin. Mm-hmm. But even then, heading in 2016, no one, after a year where they were one of the worst offensive lines in 2015, no one thought they would see the drastic improvement that they saw in 2016. We're talking about they went from, in pressure rates, 5.9% sack rate to 2.7%. 4.8% in hits to 1.6. 20.4% in hurries, 19.3. Then 31.1% in total pressure percentage, and 23.6 in 2016. That's a huge drop. So I ask everybody, why can't this happen for the 2023 team? We're talking about the horrible 2022 season where they had 5.1% in sacks, 5.6% QB hits, 21.6 in QB hurries, and 32.3 total pressures percent. That is right at or slightly above the 2015 group. This team doesn't need elite like it got from 2016. It just needs a little close to average. And what everybody is discounting is the wide receivers that the Titans had last year versus what they also had in 2015, which is pretty piss poor. Mm -hmm. And the scheme was terrible. So I ask you, isn't it time that we give them the benefit of the doubt and give them a clean slate. Like everybody was so willing to give some of the offensive staffers that got stuck around or promoted. Well, I mean, I was willing to give them a clean slate after the draft and seeing how free agency and the draft worked out in conjunction with one another felt pretty good about the type of offensive linemen that they signed or drafted felt pretty good about the level of athlete they were learning more about the scheme that, you know, we assume the Titans are going to be switching to on offense and kind of feeling like, okay, there's, there's a shift here. It's not just that they replaced guys, but they kind of went to, it's not just the addition by subtraction, right. That we talk about with like Dennis Daly, it's not just replacing a body for a body, but it's replacing an offensive line that didn't necessarily work with a different system and guys that are tailor-made to excel within it. And so you, you factor those things together and yeah, I think clean slate. Now, listen, there's a caveat here because I'm guilty of this. If we're working a bit on the internet, if we're cracking some jokes, keep sending me your Dennis daily memes, I'm good with it. 
But if we're getting no empty calories here, which we do on a football show in 440 Sports, I think you're right that there is more nuance to the issues on offense from 2022. And I think it's time to put that behind us and, and kind of look upon this new new look offensive line with a different, fresh set of eyes. Well, it's an, and I'm not here to absolve Dennis Daly. Dennis Daly still slob of the year well, 2022. So yes. I just want to make sure that it is very clear. There is no Dennis Daly uh, defense at all. You know, I, I will say you wrote in sta- on Stacking the Inbox this morning that you weren't going to commit career suicide by defending Dennis Daly. I will say this, and and maybe this is me committing career suicide, but oh, all jokes all jokes aside, there were times when I was watching the tape and I tried to go back and find it. I thought that I might have tweeted it from either my account or the unofficial Titans podcast Twitter account, but I couldn't find it. So I think I might have said it on a game reaction pod, and I'd, I'm not going to go listen to an entire season's worth of game reaction pods to find the exact quote. But there are times when Dennis Daly had a decent rep or two. And I felt like I could at least see why they liked him there. I said I, it. I, oh, you're a braver man than me. I'll say this. Make your means. That here's the thing is that everybody wants to blame just the players. Like when yeah. it is brought up, it's, it's just the players. Well, all those players are gone. And, yeah. and let me tell you something. It wasn't just the players. It was a predictable scheme that loaded up that they any team could predict and any opposing defense had a really easy time being able to even predict what plays were going to become. You know, they also have no none. Quality pass catchers on a consistent basis. Yeah. The Tennessee Titans had by far the lowest average separation by far in the NFL, which makes it even more difficult on the offensive line. When your quarterback has to hold it a few seconds longer or a few beats longer, when the defenses aren't scared of your uh, defensive backs and they can load up the box, or sorry, when defenses aren't scared of your wide receiver and they can load up the box a little bit more. When Derrick Henry isn't instilling fear onto the opposing defenses like he was, when they know what plays are coming, that all help hurts. Now, that that's not to say that the offensive line is zero blame, but that yeah. is to say they got zero help. Much like in 2015, when Ken Wisenhunt's system did nobody any favors, it was a horrible system for the offensive line he had in place. This was a horrible system for the offensive line they had in place. So now, to me, I think that when you take the players that they got, added the offensive weapons that they're going to have, and you put in the add in the new scheme that emphasizes quick, short passes and not long developing routes, that there should be some heavy optimism for this offense and for this offensive line, and we shouldn't yeah. automatically go off of some practice reps in the middle of freaking July that oh it's over ring the alarms there's no way that the offensive line all the pieces on the offensive line can work and here's what I am going to say about that prove it show me the data where this cannot work like you say like it's there everybody says well it's just not that common that all these pieces work Show me the proof on the offensive line. 
You're just spouting it and to confirm your own bias, and you have nothing to back it up. Prove to me that wholesale offensive line changes in a new scheme with new weapons added can't work. It really reminds me of the narrative that Ryan Tannehill is a bad quarterback because this fan base kind of fixated on that Bengals loss. Bad, not to say that Tannehill doesn't deserve some of the blame, but it wasn't a total picture of why the Titans lost that game. And here we are, you know, at this point, it's it's been, what, over a year, well over a year, and people still have this idea in their head that Ryan Tannehill is just a bad quarterback and the Titans can't win with him. That's what it reminds me of anyway. And uh, again, just the memes, like the memes kind of, it's like, it's like Barbenheimer a little bit, you know, like it's, we, we kind of doubled down on Barbenheimer so much that by the time the movies actually came out, people were kind of like, okay, now let's, you know, cut this shit out. Let's just get to the movies. I do want to, I want to address Eldon's comment here because it's, I think it's a good one. Now explain how he was better than Dylan Radens. I'm not going to say Dennis Daly was better than Dylan Radens. I think you and Braden have done a fantastic job of kind of talking about how he was kind of pigeonholed into uh, guard position. And I, I'll say this, you know, Dennis Daly's no longer with this team. Keith Carter is no longer with this team. Todd Downing is no longer with this team. I think that speaks for itself when you're talking about the development and the progression of uh, Dylan Radens. I'll, I'll, I'll say this uh, to, to get into our positivity. So the power of positivity, we're, we're, we're pretty positive thinkers when it comes to the 2023 Titans seasons. You a little bit more so than me, but I'm a very positive, uh, got a, always had a positive outlook this whole offseason. Um, and part of that is because of the guy you just mentioned, Ryan Tannehill. And I write about it for the article coming up in the morning, Tuesday morning at stackinginbox.com. But I take his data and with this bad offensive line, with the bad playmakers, and I compare it to three other quarterbacks, a bad quarterback, a quarterback that's a carbon copy of Ryan Tannehill in many of the league's eyes, and a quarterback that is near elite status. Those three guys all had average pass-blocking offensive lines, okay? I'm not going to name who they are. You're going to have to see all the data. But I will Hmm. say this. Ryan Tannehill is either better or the same or just right around. They're all like right clustered together in terms of EPA. And he had by far the worst offensive line out of any of them. And that should be some power of positivity. Now that the offensive line, I'm putting my foot down. I don't know how much better it's going to be, but it will be better. The playmakers are better. Ryan Tannehill will be better. And Ryan Tannehill, and I've already said it once, and I'm going to say it again. If you're a fantasy uh, football player, he'll be Q, he'll be a QB one. That means he'll be a top twelve quarterback by the end of the season. And you heard it here first. He's going to get back closer to his 2020 and 2019 seasons just because of everything that has changed in a positive way on this offense. I agree. I'm right there with you. I heard Thursday's show. You referred to some of the the Titans media fans as groundhogs that are just waking up to the the titans actually being pretty decent in 2023 you said that you were the groundhog that had been chugging red bull and been up for for days and if that's true then i feel like i'm the groundhog that has been doing crack and adderall since april because i never really wavered in this because of the dna of this team you talk about the positive changes within this organization but there's still a strong base with mike vrabel as its head coach 
that this is going to be a tough out. You hear about it all the time. Other players, other coaches don't want to play the Titans. The Titans are a tough out. They're a physical team. They're competitive. And we know Mike Vrabel is a good game planner, good game manager too. So that gives them a very strong foundation to rest upon. And the rest, like you build upon it. You don't need some massive overhaul for this team to get back to the playoffs because you're talking about the, the play calling. It drove me nuts. I dove into it on the, the Traylon Burks film Friday that you referenced where these personnel decisions just, just drove me nuts. And they're going out there in these really tight formations that kind of make it hard to create lanes for Derrick Henry to get going in. They're they're seeing Traylon Burks make these chunk plays, and then they're taking him out of the game, and they're putting in Jeff Swaim, Austin Hooper, Chigakonkwo, and Cody Hollister as their pass catchers on the very next play. Dumb, dumb decisions that are easy to correct. You just have to be marginally better at play calling. You have to get marginally better in the receiving core. You have to get marginally better along the offensive line, and we can't lose sight of how close this team was facing all of the issues that they faced in 2022. So I'm right there with you. I I don't think you need some massive overhaul to be competitive. I think this is going to be a tough football team. It's in its DNA, and I think they've made the improvements, the adjustments necessary to field a better offense in 2023. Well, and Brayden's already talking about how the energy on the field at practice is wildly different than even last year when they had a good energy last year, right? They had some positive energy. I mean, everybody talked about Ryan Tannehill's offseason. They said this year, it's like everybody is infected with energy. Everybody's going hard. Everybody is putting their best effort forward. And to me, it just talks about the that maybe just getting rid of these guys that they had, that they cut over the, 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 this off season and bringing in the guys that they brought in with really good, positive attitudes and personalities and all Mm -hmm. this stuff that sometimes it's not just about what you're getting on the field, but it's what you're getting off of it. When you get a player, do you think that not having a general manager out there with a whistle blowing in practice might have some kind of impact on that. I think so. Kevin Hogan, who was a quarterback uh, that was at uh, practice, he, um, he apparently made an errant throw that didn't get caught by some trainer. There wasn't even a receiver catching the ball and it dropped at the feet of John Robinson. He blew his whistle and then he was cut like a couple hours later. Yeah. Like to me, I, there, there has to be more that we just don't know about that we are just gleaning from stuff that people have said or how they've distanced themselves from John Robinson. But there has to be something to the fact that he's not there. Grant Carthon is a people person. Mike Vrabel is a people person. And they have brought in... They didn't bring in guys that just said they love football. They brought in guys that have shown that they love football. And I think that is the big difference between John Robinson's version of loving football. It's like he wanted to force people to love football. He's like, oh, if you don't love it, you'll love it here. You'll love it when you get here. And then they don't. These guys they actually brought in have changed the whole dynamic. I mean, Aaron Brewer is exuding confidence in his press conference, and he's, he's talking about how, yes, 
here's what here is what was tough about the guard position I played last year, but it's going to be easier because I'm going to be able to help and I'm going to be able to get to the second level and I'm going to be able to chip and I'm going to be quick. And that's my greatest asset. That's we're seeing stuff from players that we haven't seen under the Vrabel era. And I think that says a lot more about John Robinson than it does about Mike Vrabel. Like if you catch my drift. Yeah. And it's another layer of this, um, improvement narrative throughout the offseason we talked about how the offensive line may deserve to be let off the the hook a little bit who who gave Mike Vrabel and company Dennis Daly to work with who gave them Chris Conley and said make this work in the Kansas City Chiefs game it's John Robinson and, and I feel like that's another element that we can maybe displace some of this blame to yep I agree so that we're here to tell you Use the power of positivity. Be like the new day. It's a new day for the Tennessee Titans. It's yes, a new it day for your fandom. The power of positivity. That will do it for us. A football show that went by really quick. Uh, the, the time flew by, Stoney. Uh, thank you for j- j- hopping on. Remember, SoBrosNetwork.com, StackingTheInbox.com. You have an um, anniversary coming up this weekend, correct? Do I? Yeah, I do. Oh my God, you're right. I'm sorry. I've been out of the loop for a week, but yeah, August 5th, this Saturday, Proston Riot in Mount Juliet. I'll be there. The Sobros Network team will be there. We're going to have some beers. We're going to look back on 10 years of Sobros Network. 10 years. I've been running this company, doing my thing, writing, podcasting, making videos, making stupid comedy stuff that I'm probably the only person that thinks is funny been 10 years on the internet just acting out of pocket and we are going to celebrate the occasion there so if any of you guys want to come celebrate with us come have a few beers get a pizza whatever prost and riot is serving that day prost and riot mount juliet tennessee this saturday 6 p.m 6 p.m i i will be there uh barring there we any, go uh, we, my my granny's in the hospital so i'm not sure what's going Man. on there hey, grandparents are and they're having a rough 2023 so far tough so, stretch um, it, but I will be there and Lauren will be there. We'll be there at 6 PM as well. So we're coming to celebrate with you. So, Hey, uh, it's a vent bright and it's a free ticket, right? Like it's a, you yep. just are getting, and the only reason, stuff. yep. I, I just, the people at Prost and riot were great. They, they basically said, yeah, whatever you want to do, just let us know. So I'm trying to get them as accurate of a head count as possible. Well, that'll be this Saturday, August 5th, if I'm not mistaken, 6 p.m. Yep. Prost and Ryan, Mount Juliet. Come join, have a beer with us, and we'll talk some football, talk some silly shenanigans, maybe tell you why Barbie is by far the best movie of 2023 and maybe of our generation. Uh, we're sponsored by Seekers Beverages, the Kingston Group, buildkg.com, Seekers Beverages in East Nashville. Head over there today, get you some beer, get you some alcohol, you even use Uber Eats because they'll drive so you can drink and bring you any kind of alcohol for any kind of situation. BuildKG.com also, you know the drill. Home remodeling firm, locally owned, locally operated. For Stony Keeley, you can follow him on Twitter at Stony Keeley or on X. Gosh, I got to get used to it. I got to call it X. You can follow him on X at Stony Keeley. I'm Zach Lyons. You can follow me on X at FWordsPod. This has been a football show.